witches and mortals seldom do mix, but when mixed marriage is on the cards, Insanity pursues with the classic 60s sitcom Bewitch with your co-hosts, Vicky Ray, Jesse Fultz, and Keith Chowdo. Witches have never been so exposed before. And take it from me, I'm Uncle Arthur, Sammy. Hello, welcome to the Literary License Podcast, and we're discussing Bewitch, as it's Bewitch Week, and we'll be doing episode, the last episode of Season 2, and Episodes 1 through 7 in Season 3. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got special guest Jim Nemeth with us. Hello, Jim. Dun, 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 dun. Hi, Hi everybody. Welcome. Good to be back. Well, we're glad you're back. And, of course, Jesse's uh, having his birthday, so he's in incognito today, but we do have Vicky Ray joining us. Hello, Vicky. Hello, everybody. And I'm your host, Keith Shoggle. And before we get started on our Bewitch, let's talk about what we've been up to since last time we spoke. Starting with you, Jim, what have you been up to since last time we've seen you? Well, I have a few medical issues, not COVID-related, but aside from that, I've been I've been trying to figure out another idea for a book to write, but just, just nothing's really grabbed me yet. To the point where you want to invest another year or two of your life. So I've turned back to writing fiction uh, and and found uh, by accident I'm really pretty good at uh, something called a drabble, which is a a piece of fiction that's exactly 100 words long. Longer pieces, longer pieces of fiction I can't deal with, but I'm pretty damn good with 100 words. So interesting. had a few of those published, and that that's what I've been doing. I not much TV except uh, we we tend to find shows weeks after other people have. We like something called the Wilds, the Wilds, which, which was a group of girls stranded on an island, and uh, they're part of a some experiment where they're watched all the time. We really like that. I, have, I saw the ads for that. I have not seen it yet myself, but it looks good. It's excellent. I I checked that out. Um, aside from that, I, I've watched the whole season now of La Bray, and I still can't decide if I like it or not. I'm leaning toward not like it. It seems over, overdone, been there, done that with Lost. Yeah. Yeah. Lost was like, was it what it went to eight seasons, nine seasons? How long did Lost get on? It was on there for a while. I, um, when I watched Lost, I decided what I was going to do is watch the first two episodes and watch the last episode because they're going to stay lost until the very last episode. That's what I did. So <laughs> but I then there's so <laughs> much to lose, though, on Lost. I mean, because so much <laughs> stuff happens. I mean, trans transgresses through that whole episode, just like. But it's funny because all these old actors from Lost are showing up on General Hospital and other shows now. <laughs> just mm. like, well, well, I remember you. And then there's Ian Summeralder, who cannot do anything wrong, as far as I'm concerned. He just needs my name painted right across his chest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what's been up with me. Wow. And what about yourself, Vix? What are you even up to? Not a lot. Asher been doing soccer this year, and they got the third place out of everybody in North <laughs> Texas. So we were happy with that. That wasn't too bad. Out of 300 teams, we'll take the bronze. Not too bad. I'm going to try to get back into BMX probably in the in January. But ever since then, I've just been trying to get some Christmas shopping done and 
Amazon is getting a lot of my business this year. And I just decided I do not want any parts of Walmart. I do not want to go in any store. People are miserable. They're not happy. I do not want to be around it. There's no girls at the checkout lanes here in my town because they've gone totally automated and it sucks. But other than that, I've been trying to watch as many Christmas horror flicks as people have been telling me. I watched, was it Christmas Horror Story? I love that one. You told me, I think everybody needs to watch Christmas Horror Story. It was really good. And I watched both Black Christmases, but I'm really partial to the 1974 one. Uh, The 74 one beats the other ones out. But uh, other than that, I was started watching Lost in Space again. Uh, that came mm-hmm. back on its new season, and I'm really liking it. Boy, the kids got big over a year or so, you know, because of COVID and stuff, because they couldn't film last year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but there's a lot of good stuff on Netflix and, and Amazon Prime, and HBO Max has got some good stuff out now. Oh, yeah, and Yellowstone. Got to watch Yellowstone every Sunday mm-hmm. just because of Beth Dutton. Mm-hmm. Better now. Oh, myself, I've, um, I went through the old. The old episode of the Dexter, so now I'm watching a new one, which I'm enjoying actually. It's Dexter? Yeah. I haven't so seen those back, yet. Back. So, You're like the third person that told me that they're really I mean, I'm enjoying it. it. It's a different pacing than the original. I mean, the original was set in Miami, so it's all very sunny. This one's set up in um up near Watertown, New York, which is quite what? interesting. It's up which near Watertown, you- New York, and they talk about going to Fort Drum and all the other stuff sort of thing. So it's quite interesting. And this is all set in winter. So it's like, how do you, you know, so if you kill someone, how do you, you know, you can't get rid of them as easy because blood does show up in snow sort of thing. So Wood chipper into the river. Yeah. So that's quite good. What's the the time lap between um, when Dexter first ended and this new reincarnation Um, game? Ten years. Everything's a a ten-year jump this year. Yeah, so because um, I think it went, it, it it continues on whatever year Dexter ended, then and then and what this year is. So I think it's ten, and I think it must be ten or twelve years because the sun. I don't know if you, um, Todd Harrison, he left. Um, if you've seen the original series, you know that basically that what happened at the original. And he's he's sixteen, so I guess um, I think he must have been like five or four or five when the series ended. So, so, but um, that's and that, that's not giving anything away here. So that's you know without going into it. But um, yeah, I mean it's a different pacing and stuff like this, and I'm enjoying it. Um, you know, I'll wait and see. I mean, I'm gone, I've done six episodes of it now, so I'm watching it week by week. So which is which I have to sit there and say, which is quite a new thing. I haven't done a week by week for on a series for a long, long time because normally everything I watch is binging. So that's quite good. Then I finished watching Money Heist, which is now finished, which is, you know, of course, um, it's a, the show that Netflix that um, over 5 billion people have watched. So, yeah, but that's watched, finished finally, and that was quite good, which is good Spanish series. Casa de Papel, if you want to The Spanish. Chinese show of the game, the game show. <laughs> yeah. All that as well, and um, and then um, um, Titans has come back, which I'm not a, a Marvel um, comic book person at all, but I, I am a very big DC person. So, did you watch Eternals? No, I haven't watched that one yet. Sort of thing. Yeah. 
But I'm watching um, Titans. I'm really enjoying it because it does, you know, it does have Nightwing and and then right. of course um, Dick Grayson's replacements in it as well, sort of thing as the, the new Robin. And we kind of know where that goes. So I'm waiting right. for those episodes where he gets basically pulverized and killed. So, so but no, it's, it's quite good. I re- I'm enjoying that. And then watching the odd thing here and there, sort of thing. So outside of that and work and having a really bad cold getting things ready for Christmas and chilling out. So, yeah. Tis the season. Tis is. Well, this brings us to Bewitched. And our first episode is the last episode of season two, which is episode 38, which is called Prodigy, which was written by Fred Friedman and Lawrence J. Cohen. Gladys' brother, Louis, played by Jack Weston, is a gifted violinist, violinist afraid to play in public. Samantha uses her powers to help him overcome his fears. Now, this, this is the sixth episode of season two to be filmed, um, which is filmed on June 24th, 1965, but was the final one broadcast. Of note, Samantha was still being portrayed as pregnant. Um, Alice Pierce was alive. An introduction was filmed to present the episode as a flashback. This is the last episode broadcast in black and white and the last to feature Pierce. It is also the last appearance of Julie Young and Tamara Young, who were in the role of Tabat, uh, Tabitha as a baby. And um, in season two, this um, role will be taken over by um, Aaron Moran, who will be Tabitha to the end of the series. So, start off with you, Jim. What did you think of Prodigy? I, it's one of my favorites. Um, it, it starts with one of the better intros, I think, where, if you remember, Samantha makes fun of Darren's paranoia with the light switch. Yeah. Ooh, look, look at this magic. On. Off. On. So that starts well. And then uh, it's obviously a bittersweet episode for us because we know it's uh, Alice Pierce's last time as um, a glass. But said that it's nice to see that she's figuring her so prominently in this episode so it's sort of a nice send-off even though you know what's going to happen but i have to say uh the feuding between lewis gruber and abner is the highlight of the episode for me i mean just one line singers after the other to each other i think they're just hilarious and especially when you know how Gladys is dropping those uh, quotes from like reviewers and such. Oh, genius at work, uh, Daily Herald, and then Abner comes out with one with Great Eater, Abner Kravitz, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, He's such a wise ass. No matter what, I don't know if I could deal with him. Be married to him? He's just a big lump. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think this is his episode. I think he really shines here. He's hilarious. Oh, he is. It is funny because, you know, you can obviously tell he, he doesn't really like, he, he doesn't hate her brother, but he also, you know, keeps picking on him. What does he call him? The chicken fiddler. Is that what he calls him? Chicken, chicken yes. fiddler. Because I guess Among he loses his things. dance when he was doing a big <laughs> performance, which doesn't help in this one either, does it? No, but I, I guess, was going to say that chicken fiddler in the 80s would have a totally different meaning. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that was the 80s. 
I thought it was a good episode, though. I have to say that Jack Weston, it was good to see him as well. He's I love it when they the bring same... all these old character actors through. and He's still the same, no matter how old he is. You notice his style's the same, his approach is the same. You know it's Jack Weston. I mean, there's just no cloning it. Yeah, remember him as one of the, I think, three guys who terrorized Audrey Hepburn in that Wait Until Dark. Oh, yeah. Is uh, he, he in was, that? He's super creepy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I don't remember him being in that. I'm going to have to check that out again. Yeah, I haven't seen that for years, but yeah, that's a good film. That's back when you used to have like these people who like eat like James Conn, like in Lady in the Cage, terrorizing Olivia Dabble. <laughs> like Jack <laughs> or Lawrence Fishburne, like um, rape, raping the wife of um, you know Charles Brosnan in Death Wish. <laughs> <laughs> it's like see these old movies and you start to see these actors that you know that you come to love and then it's like see them in like a weird light <laughs> just like <laughs> so it's like oh yeah I think Lawrence Fishburne went from like Death Wish to like Pee Wee's um, Pee Wee's Playhouse then he's like did he yeah he was the he was the black cowboy in Pee Wee's Playhouse Oh, he oh. was! What? Oh, he was! Oh my God! And then I think he went from that to beating up Tina Turner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I think another thing I liked about this to give Gladys a good send off. I'm glad they picked that one where she looked quite well because yeah. in the middle of this episode, I mean, it's kind of we were covering the covering the previous episodes and watching him in succession, you watch her like start losing weight drastically. And yeah, you could tell her hair wasn't wig. drastically. Yeah. And I, I like that they actually decided to center off by doing an episode where she looked good. You know what yeah. I mean? That was nice. They didn't look as so there was, sad. I mean, that episode, she did an episode and I think then two weeks later she died. And this was like, I mean, she it, did. It, it was heartbreaking yeah. really when you think about it. It is. She really, she really stuck stuck it out too i mean you got to give her credits because back then i mean i imagine that the the science was just a little more painful you know as far as the- i would sit there and say it probably wasn't um you know i don't think the treatment is like it was today i think it probably was a lot harsher on you sort of yeah agreed but yeah i mean but yeah, I, I like the, I like the stuff though. So it kind of like gave you a little bit of smile, and it's like, oh, Gladys, you know, sort of thing. And poor Gladys. Yeah, you know, and she, I mean, she was phenomenal. I mean, to be honest, and um, when we get on to some further episodes with the new Gladys, um, you know, yeah, I'll, get my, I'll get my feelings about that later. But um, oh, Alice of course. Oh, oh, I, I've got yeah feelings, but yeah, like you said. Um, Especially here, she didn't have to freak out over Samantha's magic. She just seemed genuinely happy. And it was, like you said, a really nice way to send her off, I think. Yeah. And Alice Pierce, I think another thing I liked about Alice Pierce is that um, there was a connection, even though, you know, she was a nosy neighbor and stuff like this. But, you know, we had like the, the, you know, they got, she got to do the fashion show. You had to search her there. So there was a connect. Yeah. There was always like a nice connection. There, there wasn't a nastiness about Alice Pierce's Gladys. No. But, um, when we get to the new Gladys, I you know we'll cover that. But but that's what I think that's what made Alice 
here. She was like a nosy neighbor, but she was like a lovable nuisance. Yeah. I would go nuts, though. No, if my neighbors were always looking in my window like that, I don't know how, how well that, that would be received. But we do have neighbor watching. What was that movie, The Burbs? Was it with Tom Hanks? I love that movie. I don't know why. Because that's what people do in The Burbs. <laughs> we watch we it. A- it's far more entertaining than binging on Netflix sometimes on the street. It just is. Well, we have this little... Um- Indian woman, and doesn't matter. I can be coming home at two o'clock in the morning, or three o'clock in the morning, or she's coming up. out, in the and she's there washing dishes in front of the window. <laughs> but to be honest, I, I, she keep, they, they're the ones that keep your neighborhood safe. The other day, so yeah, you know. they are the sounding board. I mean, seriously, they are. They're always but, home, but they're also the ones that probably know everyone's business at the same time. But they pretty much like put everything together. What's going on? And who's living where? Yeah, this one does next doing. door. She just, she's a beautiful person. Love her to death. She's from Germany. And she she pretty much knows everything that's going on. <laughs> she does. So, I mean, my hat's off to um, Gladys Kravitz, Alice Pierce. So, and she's going to be well missed. And, that's, you know, I think another thing I found a bit, which I never really gave a thought about, but Alice Pierce is always Gladys Kravitz to me. And it always has been. But I didn't realize that she was only in the black and white episodes of the first two seasons. Yeah. And in my mind, she was in the show a lot longer. I don't know why, considering that the next um, Glass Kravis that we're discussing later on, she was in the show a lot longer. But for for some reason, my mind, Alice Pierce was in it for the longest. It's kind of, it's bizarre how one person is character a lot more. Well, I, another thing is that I, think, I think that a lot of the classic ap- episodes dealing with the Kravitzes, I think, had, must have done with the first two seasons because when they were reran on television continuously, and they're still, you know, they, it still plays on television over here during the day. Right. Same here. Same here. And, um, and it's, for some reason, she just was always. It's got, Kravitz. they got, was it TV Land's got all the heavy hitters like. Like uh, all the family, the Jeffersons, all that fun stuff you cannot get away with today. Mm-hmm. I think uh, those shows did more for race relations than anything else. Well, we don't really have like a TV land or anything like this, but um, at nine o'clock after Good Morning Britain, which is like your Today Show or something like right. that, they I don't do watch any of that every stuff. Day. They've been doing two shows every day since the eighties, two episodes of this every every day. So I think so. Which I never see unless I'm off ill from work, and then you, you know, and I see it because I'm not working on the Monday through Friday. So, well, this brings us to season three, episode one, called "Nobody's Perfect," which is directed by William Asher and written by Doug Tibbles. Tabitha forms magic for the first time, which delights Andorra but worries Samantha. Tabitha is used as a model for her clients, played by David Lewis, advertising campaign, but her use of magic of her toys drives the photographer mad. This episode ends with Samantha still worried how she's going to reveal Tabitha's newfound powers to Darren. Robert Q. Lewis guest stars as Diego Fenman, the photographer. This was filmed in July 1966. It's the first episode aired in color, first appearance of Aaron Murphy, and Diane Murphy as Tabitha. Um... Now, I have to sit there and say, this is also probably the first episode that we've seen that actually, we were actually seeing natural skin tones for the first time on Yeah, Yeah. The eye, everybody's eyes were blue. That I mean, I love colorized stuff, but it drives me nuts. 
because mm. it's just like everybody's eyes are blue. Well, of course they got Darren's eyes, brown, black, whatever, but God, that makes me crazy. I don't know why. I'm just so glad that everybody, I, I'm just glad we got into color finally. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that because they've gone for, um, now that they're also gone in the color, I've also noticed the prints of the dresses and the prints of everything. They're, they're using a lot more color. printed stuff in the background, whether it's clothing or wallpaper or you know, curtains and stuff like that. So I noticed that it's like, oh, okay, we've gone from dressing everyone in solid colors now to wearing prints sort of things. Which I think, um, you know, that was a big prints were in though back then. Though they just, I think, yeah, I mean, they probably were before that, but I have to say, you probably don't want to use prints when you're filming in black and white, sort of thing. Yeah. So they they were very fond of pastel colors too. Yeah. Yeah. They and were. that's that they were pastel anyway, because I mean, because they were colorized. So sometimes you kind of wonder what what colors are were they really sort of thing. Because Probably blues and maroons. The computer and... colorizes it by whatever. So I think they only pro- they program it through primary colors, don't they? And apparently the computer decides that what shade of gray is what color sort of thing, depending on. You know, I love gray. A lot of people hate gray, but I really like that mm. non-color color. I like gray. Mm. Well. I wear gray. I love gray t-shirts. I love gray. <laughs> I mean, of course, that, you know, when they colorized Night of the Living Dead, it turned all the zombies into green, didn't it? So because of the I, I'd rather, I much prefer the black and white when it comes to that. It just, mm. I just like the black and white better. I mean, I, I you... can understand probably why they colorized the first two seasons, which because it does make it more marketable on right. you know, syndicating it sort of thing. Right. Well, it's never had a problem. It started up there with Gilligan's Island and the rest of them, and and I Dream of Genie. That's never been, you know. Beverly Hillbillies. I mean, that was black and white when it started. Anything that started before Beverly Hillbillies. Anything that started before nineteen sixty six is black and white. But now it's you know a lot of the old you know TV series because they you know they ran until the you know into the color years and then um they did colorize them for things thing. So right, very, very, right. Uh, Anything still left in black and white original? Can I assume that the timing of this uh, means that it probably spiked with the sales of color television sets at that time? That might have something to do with it. Is that about when they came out? It was like around 1970, 68, 69? Uh, no, color television came out probably, probably came out about 1964, but they probably were highly priced. I guess you could compare it to widescreen televisions here, which we lived through. Everything was square, and all of a sudden, widescreen television came in. So, and then basically, for the first two years, all television was still square. But then, after about two years, then the price dropped in the widescreen television. Then all shows became widescreen or digital. Yeah, you know, we had to, you know, we did the same thing, with, you know, in our in our era. Well, so we had. Weird. I remember getting our first. Well, I, I remember the first touch. You know, like the touchpad TV we got when I was little. But actually, when I was a teenager, but I do remember our first color TV because I remember it only went to channel one to 13 and it had the UHF channel and dad would make me get up and change the channels. (laughs) I thought I was being a good girl. I was just being abused. So I'm sure you guys were abused as well. (laughs) See, I think sometimes I think that some of the shows that they're around this time that are filmed in color, I kind of wonder if the colors were that outrageous in real styles or was it let's show off the color 
as well. What do you mean, like Gilligan's Island or something like that? Because they well, were black you know, and white too. Like, you know, um, first of all, I mean, what you have to remember is that television at this time was, you know, the picture that you see was a muted picture anyway when you're watching it live. So what they would have to do is the, the colors that the people were wearing had to be brighter because your their digit, you know, basically the, the stuff that's coming through your antenna is analog, which right. is a muted picture anyway. That's the reason why, like, if you look at old TV shows and stuff like this, that there's not a lot of information behind them. Everything's kind of duck. Everything's pretty much, um, you know, your sets and everything are not densely furnished or anything like that. There's not a lot of busyness going on behind actors, sort of thing. Then, of course, with digital, now what we have is that, you know, now if you notice like sets and stuff like this, everything's like there's a lot going on behind people as far as you know decorations and so on and so forth. So I'm kind of wondering if maybe the colors that these people are wearing, because now basically we're watching it on DVD or digital or download or something like this, where they've actually processed the picture for a digital age. So unfortunately it makes everything a lot brighter, but I kind of sometimes wonder if the original, if people were actually wearing that bright at that time sort of thing. Well, colors of the 60s were popping though. Everything was popping in the 60s. They were pop. They popped in about 1968, but I'm kind of wondering if they were popping because the image that they were seeing on TV was transforming into fashion, or were they really popping in 1966 when we're seeing them? Well, I mean, considering look at the other shows like Dark Shadows, we're doing. You know, look at how things have changed with that too. I mean, you do get prettier clothes when they actually get colorized. You know, yeah, and and you also get like I mean, even the candles are colored in Dark Shadows. Yeah, I mean, who's ever seen a blue and purple candles and the color? You had a thing for blue candles because it's color because t- it's color TV color. You know, showing something. He liked his blue candles. I think some of the the kids that well back in the day, Sharon Lent said that she wasn't allowed to touch those blue candles when she was playing Sarah. <laughs> she get yelled at if they touched the blue candles. Yeah. So watching this first episode in color, I. I thought it was quite, inter- you know, quite interesting, but it did make me kind of wonder. It's like, God, the colors are very bright. <laughs> but I wonder if they were really that bright, or because of, you know, show off color. <laughs> we got color well, they on. are all UHD now, aren't they? A lot of them, they redigitized them and everything for. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, but yeah, there's yeah, a good documentary on Netflix about um, te- television versus film and how it changed and sort of thing about how everything came through was analog. And that's the reason why everything was, you know, the picture that you were seeing that was different than the picture you see today, because basically it's going through an analog. And that's not including the snow and everything else while you're trying to get a really, I mean, it's very rare that you got a really clear picture in the in this day as well, sort of thing. So, yeah. I remember I was just a small kid, but to see and door for the first time in full color, and the CC dress is pretty much every color of the rainbow. It was just an exciting moment. Oh, and that orange hair. Oh, I remember that orange hair so much. Uh, and the Just blue eye shadow color. against the blue eyes. Yeah. And the red lipstick. And the purple veil. Uh, yeah, and it, it was like kind of like an acid green against the pink as well. Yeah, that as well. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I see before the purple. Yeah, I've, yes. And, you know, this is, I think it's probably the first time we actually, you know, when we do see Andorra, this, you know, we don't see it. 
No, we don't see it in this episode, but we do see it. It's the first time we actually see the actual costume in its real colors sort of thing. So, so. Uh, so what do you think about Nobody's Perfect um, for being a season three, episode one premiere sort of thing? As far as Tabitha's newfound powers? Yeah, as far as an episode is concerned. Well, you know it's going to be total controversial, and you know that Darren's going to be upset about it because he always, you know, is upset about everything. You know, you you, you would have to figure he knew that this was a possibility. <laughs> you know, but there seemed to be a bit of an age jump between season two and season three as well. The big jump. Yeah, it's like I mean, she's she all of a sudden a not baby. a little baby. She's not even a toddler, really. I mean, she's you know. She went from that to actually like sitting up and actually eating, and she's like, "She's what? She's gonna, I think she's gone from like a year to like maybe three, maybe." She's got to be about two or a half, three, yeah. considering. But she's not talking. Well, she is talking, but they did do a big jump though, because she went from baby and swaddling clothes to a you know full board toddler sitting in a high chair. So yeah, and she has hair. I mean, Tabitha yeah. was bald up until. Season three, episode one. <laughs> like a bald-headed baby. So. Yeah, well, most babies are. I also yeah. quite like the idea that um, they're, the way that they're breaking in the Tabitha special power thing, so they're breaking it in gradually now. But I think so it's not like one great big storyline. So, so it's, it's giving that illusion that there's a continuing storyline that's going to happen until eventually Darren's going to find out sort of thing. So I quite like that idea as well, because I quite like it when they have a continuing storyline, which they kind of touched on in previous episodes and stuff like that. Is it what I think about? What'd you guys think about Diego Fenman, the photographer? Um, I hated him. Why? (laughs) Why did you hate him? He's, uh, just one of the, these cases where he was wrong for the role. He was too, especially toward the end when he started berating Tabitha. Every time I watch the episode, I imagine instead the old comic Charlie Callis, mm-hmm. who had the rubber face and all that. Right. I just, I just think the actor here was just not right for the role. I didn't like Might him not at have all. Been. Mm. They were going for a specific look, though. It was almost like they were, I don't know, what's the word? Uh, stigmatized photographer or artiste. <laughs> you know, they gave, they made him a little flamboyant, you know? Yeah, there was a, a little bit of stereotyping going on. A little on. bit. Like, you know, <laughs> a bit. And over, then a bit very, very over the top, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know it's contrived, but to this day, I cannot imagine why they, uh, what, what did the guy advertise or sell? Uh, car transmissions. Yeah. And tying a baby and loving and beauty to a car transmission. I never got that ad campaign, let me tell you. It's like, I don't get a lot of their campaigns, but I guess somebody does these things, though. <laughs> you know, there's certain ads just like, well, that's a good ad. Like, the, you know, the singing frogs for Budweiser. I don't know why they got rid of the singing frogs for Budweiser. I like the frogs. But, you know, some some things just actually work. I was like thinking the other day, go, it's like, boy, consume, consume, consume. We are the most consuming 
world He's ever. A bit of a stretch between baby and transmission, though. Isn't well, it? I mean, yeah, but still, there's somebody's making that connection, probably. Well, I mean, they do get away with it because you never do see the finished ad ever, do you? That's I mean, no, I, we don't. I certainly wish there's a lot of this, like, oh, da, 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 we'll come up with this idea, sort of thing, but you never actually see the finished ad at all, do you? So it's kind of like, okay, oh, we got away with it, yay! It's like we just show any it is sort of thing. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, one one thing I do like about this episode, and yeah, it makes me feel that personally, I always take the magic that goes on for granted because there's so much going else. But then there's a scene where Endora turns a lamp completely upside down. Yeah. And I freeze that screen. And I swear I can't find wires or anything. You can't. And, no, you can't. I did too. I this like... is the 60s. It's just the I, I don't think we give whoever did the special effects enough credit. I don't cause... think so either because there's times when you got the ashtrays or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, and I, I literally did the same thing and then you cannot see anything. Either they had an editing <laughs> genius or the smallest fishing wire ever because you just... Well, I know that... Um... I mean, it's a, another thing, I mean, most times, like, if they were moving anything, what they would do is, like, you know, when she brought her arms up, then what they would have to do is she brought her arms, she stayed her there, and then they had to put these, like, wedges underneath her arm to keep her arm there, and then they had to move whatever they had to move out or whatever. And it's quite, when you think of, like, Tabitha, to being able to do that to a child and get the child just to stay there and just, Okay, now we got we got to make sure she doesn't move or anything, you know. And, and some of the magic she performed, like whether it's zapping something in or out or moving it, that means that child has can't even move a frame and able to make sure that she, they they were able to do that with her. What a patient child! And you know she's taking her cues. You can tell, obviously, oh, yeah. but she does such a good job at it. She's just a baby. Because um, I was reading something about um, Agnes Moorhead and what she kind of hated is. She didn't mind, you know, doing her arms up or everything like that. She, you know, she didn't mind that. What she hated is something happened and they had to make a room empty. Because what happened is she had to stand there for however long it took them to get everything out of the room. All the furniture and stuff out. Or I didn't to know move, that. To move and stuff. Yeah, because they, they, they just had to stand and frill, frozen So like they, that, they made their arms like this? They had them held up? Something? Was they had braces. Up? They put braces underneath their arms. So they had like I braces. did not know that. How interesting. They had to stand there like this. Oh sort of thing and so so yeah so, so whenever you see that sort of thing basically that's them just being, then they just have to freeze until however long it took them the prop people to get everything out of the way or do whatever right and they have to make sure that you know if they did it they would even have to move the, move around them as well if, if whatever direction they were going into interesting so, yeah I just hope some of this stuff was on wheels. Could you imagine if it wasn't? It had a bunch of people lifting things up. It would have to be, don't you think? Because furniture back, furniture back then wasn't light. <laughs> no, it doesn't look light either. That's what, yeah, my furniture now is nothing. My mother's couch, you could throw it through the Berlin Wall. My couch, not so much. Mm-hmm. So, but I think overall, I mean, it, it's, it's a nice season opener because it does yeah. give you a hint of, you know, what... You know the t- what's going to go on with Tabitha now. This is going to be the theme of season three, isn't it? With Tabitha's right. This brings us to episode number two from season three, called "The Moment of Truth," which is written by David V. Robson and John L. Green, and of course directed by Wooster. 
It's Samantha and Derek's anniversary. Samantha gets Aunt Clara to babysit. Aunt Clara begins to believe that she's not well as unaware of Tabitha's powers, attributes Tabitha's magical doings as her own witchcraft gone haywire. So without a babysitter, Sam and Darren decide to hold a small anniversary cocktail party for themselves and the taste. Tabitha's magic causes chaos in the party and Darren finds out it was her. This is the first episode featuring Casey Rogers as Louise Tate. So now we have a new new a new Louise Tate that we didn't have before. In yeah, two. that's right. Yeah, I remember that. This is the one that stayed. Well, there's three Louise Tates, weren't there? Are there two or is there three? We've gone through two. Right. We had one in season one. We had one in season two. And this is our third one now. Okay. Um. I have to just say a moment of truth I liked, um, though, for an Aunt Clara episode, it didn't have that magic Aunt Clara episode that we had previously. All the Aunt Clara um, episodes that we had before were all written by one person, and this is kind of Aunt Clara written by a set of different people. So even though she was, it's always lovely to see her, but mm-hmm. there, isn't, there isn't that heartwarming you know, gooey heart, gooey center that we got with Aunt, Aunt Claire's storyline sort of thing. But but you got to admit, her entrance in this episode is one of her best. Is that the fireplace? Parachute. No, the parachute. Oh, okay. the front door. Okay. I got my episodes mixed up. I think that's yeah, her guess- best entrance. I think. I think what I think. The, I think what I was missing is that when um. We, when she thinks it's her powers going haywire and then it's actually Tabitha, there wasn't that, no one gave her that kind of understanding. I think that's what's missing that moment where it's like, oh, no, Aunt Clara, it's not you. We love you dearly, but it's actually Tabitha. Oh, you know what I mean? It would have given her that validation yeah. sort of thing. Because she always kind of feels bad when things go haywire and you always feel sorry for her because she, she tries so hard. It's like someone who tries really hard to do good, but it always doesn't matter what they do. It kind of gets messed up all the time. And that's Aunt Clara. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely have my Aunt Clara days, so I feel yeah. for the woman. I have Aunt Clara days all the time now. <laughs> 25 years ago, I wouldn't even bothered considering, you know, thinking myself like Aunt Clara, but it's starting to take root. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think, I mean, but I think overall, it's a quite little, you know, quite little episode. I mean, the Tate's coming over for a cocktail party to celebrate a couple's anniversary. It was a bit odd. <laughs> No, I don't think it's odd. People getting together to celebrate. I don't think I don't think that Larry Tate coming over for your anniversary is good. <laughs> he's not Mr. Relationship, is he, Larry Tate? No. It's like so basically he come he comes over, you're happy like here, you know, I hope you you know you two are happy and then basically insults Louise the whole time. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Well oh, don't they I, make I, him I... think he's getting soused? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that whole sequence is great, yeah. especially his sobriety test. His sobriety test, like, yeah. <laughs> I still laugh when I think of that. Oh, but because I always like to come prepared with useless pieces of information, right. I'll tell you that uh, Marion Lauren, who plays Aunt Clara, starred in a 1955 movie called oh, "What Was It." with Rosalind Russell, and she played a character named Aunt Clara. Really? So is that oh. Kismet, Kismet or what? She just looks like somebody's Aunt Clara. What's the, do you remember the name of the film? It's in my notes somewhere, but I can't find it. 
Who was she played <laughs> oh, yeah. opposite? Uh, the, the Girl Rush. I watched it. I'm a huge Rosalind Russell fan, and to see her and Marion Lauren in a movie together is going to be like it's going to be like yeah. my my own special Christmas, just seeing Rosalind <laughs> Russell in, and anything. Okay, so it's a Girl Rush from '55. Oh, cool! I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt that one down. Yeah, me too. I love Rosalind Russell. Now that more Marion Lauren's in it, I mean, for me, Strangers on the Train with Marion Lauren is one of my. You know, she's fantastic. You know, Casey Rogers is also in Strangers on the Train. Another piece of coincidence. Strangers on the Train, yeah. Oh, I yeah. Ooh, I'm gonna hunt that down now. Okay. Well, if I can, let me segue into Louise Tate. Can I tell you how much I prefer Casey Rogers over the previous actress? Uh, Do tell. Uh, I think Casey Rogers is so much funny. She's so much more in sync with Larry as a wife. Beautiful and just an improvement, I think. The previous one was just too, too something for me, too cold. Well, she's married to Larry. <laughs> that's true the womanizer and I also think that um, it's very the other one I think whenever it's almost like it almost felt like wife abuse with Larry and the previous Louise maybe and this one seems like she can hold her own as well so I can understand that the other way it felt felt, felt like a, a welcome act like Larry's kind of walking over, so she felt a bit Yeah, down he did. Where this one seems like, you know, this one, you know, if Larry's going to mess with her, she's going to mess back with him. Like, you know, she's not going to take take anything off him. No, no. I, I thought, I don't know. I got a kick out of watching this one because I, I just like what they did to Larry because he needs a comeuppance every once in a while for being such a heinous friend. <laughs> you know, he's just... <laughs> He's just an awful friend. He really is on most, you know, most most venues. But it's Larry, so we got to tolerate him. Yeah, I have to sit there and say, though, he's quite good at bullying Darren whenever he wants anything done. I know, he does. And he always puts him in bad situations, you know. And I, I would kill anybody that said, oh, yeah, by the <laughs> way, you have an hour to come up with a dinner party, cocktails and hors d'oeuvres and everything else. Just you're, like, not allowed no. use, you're not allowed to use witchcraft. You're not allowed to use witchcraft. Just like, no. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. having to give up your very essence because she's in love with this guy? I mean, can, can you imagine what if Darren married a mortal, what kind of, what, what kind of marriage that would have been? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that poor woman would have never slept at all. She'd just be a tireless wreck, wouldn't she? So thing about this episode is uh, toward the end where uh, Samantha finally reveals the truth in the nursery. Liz Montgomery's acting here is just uh, superb. She's she's on the verge of crying because she's afraid of what she's about to say. I just I think that's one of Liz's uh, finer moments. You know, she is a mom now too. And I mean, seriously, when you're when you're a mom and you can think of any bad scenario, you can make yourself cry at the drop of the hat. You just can <laughs> once you're a mother. It's just weird. You can, you know, and you could tell it was really heartfelt your performance in that. 
Exactly. Although I think didn't didn't um, the baby make something come to her and it wasn't and he saw it? Is that how he caught it? I can't remember now. Is that how he caught it? Deer yeah, came in and she wanted something. You know, little girl did. Tabitha. <laughs> All little girls though want something though. That would be cool. That would just be so cool to be able to just like you know, and have anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the kid just is to me if I if I had any of the powers, I mean the thing is the only thing I would really love about any of it would be zapping somewhere and zapping home. Uh, let's go here for tea or let's go here for dinner. Let's yeah. For that would be so and, much and, fun. I know for a fact I'd probably still be late for work, no matter if I was probably but I was there to say that you know I would I, so I would be pushing that you know staying in bed just a little bit longer. But you know, you know, I'd be snoozing probably three or four more times longer than what I'm doing at the moment if I had the power. So. This brings us to season three, episode three. Witches and warlocks are, are my favorite things. When Tap proves to be the first powerful witch of her generation, and Dora and Aunt Hagatha and Aunt Antara, Aunt, oh God. Enchantra. Enchantra, thank you. <laughs> decides she must be taken away to attend Hagatha's school against Darren and Samantha's wishes. After three witches place a spell on Aunt Clara, Darren and Samantha to gain control over the baby. Samantha calls upon her father to rescue them. Rita Shaw and Estelle Winwood guest star. I love this. Nice. Is- Casting have, Sorry, I have been waiting to talk about this episode. <laughs> to see if I'm as crazy as my friends think I am or not. But this episode upsets me like no other. Because take away the gags, take away the jokes. And Dora was literally going to kidnap um, Tabitha and take, him, take her away. And even said... Darren and Samantha were incompetent parents. It's like... Yes. I have to say that rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. I, yeah. I, I it did. If Maurice hadn't intervened, they'd have taken Tabitha. And it just... Oh, it just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. It, it, I found that a little irritating, too. And they go, it's just a show. It's just a show. You know, I always <laughs> have to remind... Because somebody has to be the protagonist and the antagonist. You know, so... It, that that was a little troublesome, and I love how Aunt Clara goes and sides with the other family, yeah. with Darren and Samantha. Because even Aunt Clara, she knows she's just so sweet. Yeah, but you know, if you look at Aunt Clara, you have to admit that I think the only person who actually treats her as a human being are Samantha and Darren. Even Darren's parents treat, treat Aunt Clara as someone else. Where the witch's side of things, she's kind of. They're, they find her a bit of a nuisance. Yeah. That you never see Clara with anyone that's a witch. It's just like, oh, well, that poor girl. You know, they kind of like throw her to the side. Where Samantha and Darren treat her like she's family. I mean, even, I said before, even we even seen episodes where she's spending time with Darren's family. And they yeah. Love where the witches all of a sudden don't want to be bothered with her. But then again, you know, Clara probably represents what could happen to you when you get to that age. Yeah, or maybe you know what I mean for witches. I mean, witches are obviously immortal, they live for a very, very long time. Um, but, but age catches up with them, obviously. obviously like, dementia is on their doorstep at some point because that's what we have with Aunt Clara, isn't it? So, 
And we do find, and we do get, you know, we do get episodes later on that we find out that if you become tired of being a witch or you become unuseful for things, you turn yourself into household objects. So yeah. obviously, obviously there's something about this immortality that's, you know, all that's cracked up to be somewhere down the line sort of thing. Right. So maybe Aunt Clara does that. But yeah, but. A nice exception. Yeah. A nice exception to that is Maurice. Because he treats uh, Clara with such gallantry. Climate. Yeah, he did, didn't he's, he? Yeah, and he goes, Clara, I, I couldn't find, I couldn't have no finer company when they were leaving together. Yeah. And it's like, it's very, I like the way he treats her very sweetly. Well, I just like how he beat up on the other women. And normally I don't like that, but they had it oh, coming. Yeah. And he drops them off at Mount Everest and freezes them until they decide <laughs> they're not going to do it. Because clearly, I guess, warlocks are more powerful. Than witches? I think it's more about there's some. I think it, I don't know if it's more powerful, but I think there is. Um, I think it's quite male led. Well, there's no Me Too movement for warlocks and witches yet. I'm assuming. <laughs> so I guess well, I assume Maurice is a powerful warlock. Yeah, I also found that we do find out that um, men can have multiple partners, where it doesn't seem like fe- it's the same thing for females as well. Because more tends to be, you know. We they bet they have hinted around that Morris has a lot of girlfriends and stuff like this, right. or, you know, sort of thing. I I mean, I, it's hard to I mean, it's hard to really understand how this witching world works anyway because we don't you're not, you're kind of just giving fed like little bits of information and of course, I think they make it up as they go anyway, sort of thing. But um, like Aunt Clara, I mean, whose aunt is she? Maybe she's Morris's aunt. Maybe she's part of Morris's side of the family. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Yeah, true. They never mm. do really ever tell you, you know, where the line of demarcation is family-wise. Well, there's also the thing about um, Andorra as well that, you know, every once in a while you get this episode where she's kind of like, I love her. I love Agnes Moorhead. I love everything about Andorra, but you do get what, you know, we get in this episode where it's kind of like, well, this is pushing it in an uncomfortable direction. Yeah. You know? I mean, I have to say what saves this episode for me, though, some freaking fantastic character actors. I mean, Rita Shaw. I mean, she's bloody brilliant yes. in everything she does. You know, whether she's in pajama games singing old Heinze sort of yeah. thing or, you know, or Mary Poppins and then Estelle Winwood. I yeah. mean, I fell in love with Estelle Winwood with Murder by Death, you know? <laughs> She's like, she's a goddess to me, sort of thing. This is like then, the series of character actors, though. This is the one series that really just Morris, pulls out character actors left and right. And Morris Evans has been a favorite of mine since Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And, you know, you know, Dr. Zayas, sort of thing. And, you know, so, I mean, for me, as far as, you know, the story itself, as you said, goes to a kind of a dark place. It makes something uncomfortable. But at the same time, I kind of loved having all these character actors that I love and adore through years. And, you know, they're kind of people like I know who they are and everyone else is like looking at me like, why are you getting really excited about these people? Who are they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's her. She she was in the ghost of Mr. Chicken with Tom Knox. Oh God, the ghost of Mr. Chicken. I forgot about uh, that. But yeah, so I, I like that aspect. I love that we had all these great character actors put into one. And I mean we're not talking about just any character actors, we're in like classic 
character actor put in yeah. an episode. But I have to agree with you that it did come to the expense of, you know, that was a, that was cringe a really really dark place, and you're kind of wondering like, you know, what would have happened if, you know, Samantha's dad he's never come, you know, kind of hard to reach. He's not a regular visitor for Samantha. Suppose he wasn't unva- suppose he wasn't available. What would have happened? They would have took the baby. You know, I mean that that when you have babies and stuff, I don't know. You there's always there's always a set of parents that you know. It's just like they they put their opinion in more when they should. I used to put my opinion in and I realized, oh, it's not my kid. Shut up. You know, you have to pick your battles. So, well, I mean, is this what happens to you when you get accepted to Hogs and your parents don't want you to go? Because <laughs> 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 you know what happened when, um, when Harry's parents were going to let him go to Hogwarts. Remember, it's like all the letters came alive. Yeah. Yeah. What happens? Maybe this is maybe this is where they come from, sort of thing. So the last thing I took out of this episode was I love how the witches don't recognize their hypocrisy. Because throughout the series, especially in Dora, they always accuse Darren of, oh, you're discriminators against us, prejudice. And here in this episode, they're calling him an impudent, impudent, was that the word? Human. They look down upon the marriage as a mixed marriage. Uh, we've talked then, about that before. We think that they were really actually tackling interracial stuff back then, but they were using this as a format to do it. Mm-hmm. But I love how the witches never see the hypocrisy. They, they only don't. see this one-sided. They are, they are really set in their ways, especially the older ones. But then, you know, you get but a then, couple of characters and, and they're not so much. bigger shows up and they, they kind of bow down to them, though. So obviously they're not as free as they think they are, obviously, are they? No. Certainly they have rules to follow, even in the witching world, you know? I mean, we do get, I mean, we do kind of get that, you know, when you look at the male witches anyway, knocking off Uncle Arthur, the other, uh, I think the only other male witch that we actually get a regular occurrence with is Dr. Bombay. Bombay, yeah. Eventually. And he seems to have you know, a a hold over all the female witches. I don't know why he's a ridiculous drawn. person. <laughs> a ridiculous yeah, but at the, same, at the same time, it's like they kind of like you know he's a doctor, isn't he? So it's like Doctor Bombay, Doctor Bombay, emergency coming right away. Right away. <laughs> <laughs> and then he screws up. You don't really see very many male witches on here, warlocks, really. No. Not a regular thing. Not a well, back then, I think it was so supposed to be a woman thing. This is before, you know, the right. Well, Wicca was on the rise, you know, and because mm. I remember, remember, remember back in the day, you see the National Enquirer was always selling books. You too can be a Wiccan if you buy this three hundred and fifty dollar <laughs> book set. Just like I don't think so, but I mean, that's the Scientologist. I'm not sure which book I want to buy. Yeah, but the the meta, the, you know, like metaphysical studies and stuff were starting to pop up all over the place, and guys were getting interested in it too, you know. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, great actors, great character actors, but one of the dark places went to very quickly. A little bit, yeah. I was surprised. I don't remember this episode. I, I mean. I've watched all these several times, but I didn't remember that. And I thought I was the only one being cringing a little bit when they said they were going to just take the baby away from Samantha and, and, and Darren. 
it was a little cringeworthy. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I have to agree. I, I did go to a dark place. I mean, it's like, oh, look, oh, look, these fantastic people. And it's like, oh, yeah. okay, it's gone dark. <laughs> yeah. It's like, ooh, look at Andorra. Do you, girl? <laughs> yeah, go Andorra. There's a bitch in the room for once. It's not me. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <Go Andorra>. <laughs> <laughs> this brings us to season three, episode four, Accidental Twins. Aunt Clara babysits Tabitha and Jonathan Tate, but accidentally turns little Jonathan into twins. By the time Samantha and Darren return home with the Tate, Aunt Clara has not resolved the situation, but what's worse is she can't remember which baby is the real Jonathan. Samantha tries their hardest to stall the Tate from leaving with a Jonathan to go home, while Fluster Aunt Clara works to reverse her spell. Complications ensure when each Tate parent separated in the house gets hold of one of the baby Jonathans. This is filmed in June 23rd, 1966, and was written by Howard Leeds. What do you think of this one, Vix? Shit show. <laughs> Poor Aunt Clara. You know, she was trying really hard, you know, to do. I mean, she'd be a great babysitter, you know. I, I just thought, I just never understood why she had to have the original little Jonathan to put both of them back together, you know. Yeah, but I mean, uh, that was just like borrowing trouble. But I love Aunt Clara in this because she know I like that Samantha made her 10 years younger so that she could remember the spell. Why didn't she just leave her 10 years younger so that she could, you know, she just turned her back, you know, so Aunt, so Aunt Claire would struggle so much all the time. It's magic. I mean, why not? I mean, what I quite like about this episode, it has that screwball comedy. It does. Episode, you know, you know, you know the baby. Stuff like this. And it's his but, birthday. Yeah, as you're saying, this doesn't make sense. I mean, once you just put the two of them together and go, press the change it back together or whatever you say. It's with like, you like, know stuff. which one's the real one. <laughs> Something. <laughs> you know, like marsh two two little two marshmallows, and you just kind of push them together to become one. Exactly, exactly. Cool. Don't have to make it that complicated, and then it gets more like, complicated. Like the times Larry shows up separated. early. Huh? It was like time we seen the two Darrens separated. You had the two Darrens, didn't we? You had like the fun. Oh Darren, yeah, the good the, Darren and the the negative the Darren, Darren, or whatever. Or the two Darren, you know, and all that. They didn't, you didn't know which one was the real one. They just kind of like put them together. So I thought. So I assume that's probably what happened with the baby. Is like you know, one baby, two baby. Yeah, but obviously there's some kind of rule here. <laughs> obviously, mm-hmm. what do you think, Jim? Actually, not much. I mean, I watched it again just the other night, and I like the back and forth trying to keep Louise and Larry. But Separate. I still just end up not really having much to say about it. It's a good episode. It's a good it's episode. Fun, not, there's nothing that outstanding about it other than Aunt Clara has done her Aunt Clara thing. And they have to rectify it before everybody figures out what's going on. But even if of, they did, they can zap them somewhere they forget it. So, you know, that's where my brain goes. I mean, it, it, to me, it's kind of like an ode to like the 1930s and 40s screwball comedy kind of thing where it's kind of like, you know. You know, so you had that going on, which made it enjoyable. But you, but if you start thinking about it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. 
you know, it's one of those surface episodes. It's like it's best just to watch it and laugh and just enjoy it, but don't try to think about it. No, don't think about it. I wouldn't have to. I wouldn't think about any of these episodes. I would just take them for what they are, watch them, laugh yeah. at them, and don't overthink it. Yeah, it's one of those Terminator things. Like Terminator is great until you start thinking about it and doesn't make any sense. What's no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. After a while, especially if you're trying to run them in some kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. continuity yeah you want to stop the world from happening but if you stop the world from happening you're never gonna get pregnant with john connor <laughs> that's <laughs> right <laughs> which basically so. you just wiped out this guy who just impregnated you so yeah go for it change the future <laughs> <laughs> make the love of your life never appear and make you pregnant go for it go right <laughs> <laughs> He yeah, doesn't I mean, say the baby Jonathans get back together and all is well. The Tates don't understand about the birthday party at seven in the morning, I'm sure, but I nothing uh, is is like um I really don't like Larry and Louise's kid. Well he doesn't do much, does he? Yeah. Well he has no no personality at all. Well, yes, to my annoyance, he stares into the camera too often. It's yeah. like I wonder whose kid that was. <laughs> Even, I mean, it's almost like you know, if, if he picked his nose, that would probably be the most interesting thing this character <laughs> ever does in any of these episodes. It's like, you know, it's almost like, like the most boring baby is given, you know, is born to the taste. Well, and it, it was hard. It, it upset me that in this episode, of course, uh, Clara always gets upset when she screws something up. But here at one point, she almost like for the first time starts breaking down to cry. And I start crying with her. It's like, I, I want to be like Sam and kiss her and say, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Very- uh, I love that, Clara, though. I mean, I have to say, every, every time I see her, my heart, I, I love everything that she's in. Sort of yeah. Thing. She's just such a great actress, though, for her age. And I, I don't know. There's just something. You don't get warm and endearing and fuzzy characters like that so much anymore. Well, another I can't thing, even name whoever, one. Well, another thing, whoever wrote for Aunt Clara, when you learn more about the actress, Marion Lauren, they wrote a lot of her oddities into this character as well. Her, I mean, her doorknobs. Door I mean, he did that in real life. You know, she collected doorknobs yeah. in real life. And, you know, and the way that she puts her makeup on because her makeup is always a bit skewed you know her lipstick's always a bit skewed her makeup yeah. but the thing is no matter what movie you see her in it's like that it's like even like when she when you're trying to find just look up photos of her sometimes yeah that's her that's not her playing a role that's her sort of thing you know right down so, to the hat and coat yeah she but she even dressed like aunt claire in real life it's kind of like you know the, whoever you know, cast her basically when they cast her, they mu- they go, We want this actress and we're gonna make this character this actress. I'm not talking about the the forgetfulness. I don't know anything about that, but it's sort of like this you know, the style and the, the little idiosyncrasies that the that she has as a person, they've actually written into this character. But it's so it's so bloody endearing, sort of thing. You know, I mean you you know, so it's this, yeah, they must have really wanted this actress to be able to write all that into this character from day one sort of thing and just keep that going. She had a huge Broadway and theater career, too. Yeah, no, I mean, she's been around for ages, but, you know, she's like Hermione Gingold. You know, it's like if you want Hermione Gingold. Keep forgetting she was on Strangers on a Train until you guys said that. 
maybe that's maybe that's where the producers um, decided they wanted her. I mean, because in Strangers, she basically portrays the same type of uh, muddy-headed mother who doesn't have it all there. And quite yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I always think that's probably. I think that's part of Bewitched's strength, though. I think they always wrote to the strengths of the. People that they know they're going to be recurring characters. I mean, sometimes you know the the one the you know the actor a day, the actor per episode that they get in every once in a while doesn't quite fit, or there's something that doesn't. You know what they're trying to do, but for some reason they got cast wrong in whatever role. But these other character actors who you know are coming in, like Morris Evans and Paul Lynn, and we de- you know we later get it with um, um, Esmeralda. I forgot what the actress's name is. Um, Alice Ghostly. Alice Ghostly. I mean, you know, you know that. So, oh, we're gonna, oh, Alice Ghostly. So we're going to write for Alice Ghostly. We're not going to write. We're going to write Esmeralda. We're going to write Alice Ghostly. And you know, I, it's almost like that's what they were doing. You know, and she's Clara, one of my favorite characters. Mar- Marianne Lawrence too. So We need to write for Marianne Lauren. You know, it wasn't didn't like, she used to like, didn't she used to disappear all the time when she'd get upset? She would just like fade away or something. Esmeralda did. Yeah, I she loved did. her. Oh yeah, which basically, I mean, she did appear in season two as a different, different character, but she's still Alice Ghostly. I think Paul Lynn showed up as a driving instructor, and he was Paul Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> <The driving instructor. laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, this brings us to episode number five, called uh, Most Unusual Woodmans, which is written by Ed Jurist. Jerry O'Toole, a supposed friend of Darren's family, visits but turns out to be a woodman, a mortal arch enemy of witches. And Jerry turns out to be Geraldine. Samantha travels back to the 15th century to lift a 500-year-old curse based upon Darren the Bold and is sent by the nymph after he murdered her beloved Rufus the Red. The problem, Samantha will not have her powers, so she will have to rely solely on her ingenuity to stop the slain. Michael and Sarah and Kathleen Nolan guest star. This was filmed in October 18, 1966. Darren's ancestor, Darren the Bold, appears again in The Return of Darren the Bold, broadcast on February 4th, 1971, apparently played by Dick Sargent. But <laughs> <laughs> now, this is another episode where we now find out that Darren has a lot more witchcraft and supernatural in his back. We had the Leprechaun from season yeah. two. Getting his goal, we found out that they, he was related to Darren. So now we have this wood nymph that's actually part of Darren's family tree, literal family tree. So, <laughs> so what did you think of this? Sorry, with you, Jim. What do you think of this episode? Eight of the eight episodes for this, uh, uh, this is my favorite. It's one of I mine mean, too. It's just it gets us out of the typical Stephen Town. It's so madcap. Yeah. And I'm just so happy to see Dick York have an opportunity to break, break out from his dick. And he, he's just hilarious doing so. Oh, God. <laughs> he's hysterical he's, as the barbarian or whatever the hell he's supposed to be. The, 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 the laird. Or, <laughs> he's ridiculous, but it's great. <laughs> you, you could just see him enjoying himself. You and, could uh, tell he enjoyed this part. Uh-huh. He really could. And him chasing Sam around and Get Sam getting away from him. Oh my a, God, he was—I was, he, I was so lecherous funny. and everything. 
So it, it's definitely my favorite. See, I never, I think a lot of people underestimate Dick York. I agree. Because I think the part of Darren is the most difficult part in the show to do. Because first of all, you got to do the whining Samantha thing. And then you got to do like the overbearing husband thing. And then you got to be like the lovable husband thing. And at the same time, try to be likable. The son of law. And the thing is, and I think that's a really hard role to play sort of thing. But, and then, and then, and you kind of see that character over and over and over. But then when we get these, where he gets to actually shine into something else, like in this act, this role here, or the one where he divided and he's the fun Darren, where he's like jumping off and showing yeah. off. And, <laughs> yes, and, I like and, that you know, one too. Him, and the thing is, that's that's was like you know you can tell is like you know he's incredibly talented because he can he can really get into it if he needs to and you know break against the norm and and I, I love seeing Dick Dick York looking like he's having fun. You know, I think sometimes he's like, you know, I think he enjoys himself, but this is where he's having fun sort of thing. He gets to have fun. Like what Samantha does, um, her cousin Serena. You can tell that when she got, when she didn't play Samantha and she's doing Serena, she's having a hell of a good time. I mean, that's the reason why they, that's the reason why they did it. She was getting bored. And it's it's good to see Darren be able to like play something different and do something fun with it and just have a good time and just, you know, get out. Get out of that bloody suit that he has to wear twenty four seven. And yeah, I, really, your point of him, uh, his physical comedy. I always come back to the. I think his second season episode it must be Halloween. He's turned into the werewolf. Yeah, the point, and at the point <laughs> where he just one. starts biting into the sofa pillow, it's just manic, and I just it's great stuff. He's a, uh, always a great uh, physical comedian, I thought. Truly under underappreciated. One of my favorite movies is the one that he did with Bob Fosse called My Sister Eileen. My Sister Eileen. You know, I haven't that. seen that. Never it's seen a musical. That. It's a really good, it's a really good musical. It's, um, um, it's based on a wonderful town, but they call it My Sister Eileen. It's with Janet Lee. It's a, it's a musical with Janet Lee and Dick York and Bob Fosse and... Uh, I want to say Gwen Verdon, but I think it's Carol Han- Haney. It's one of them, so I think. It's, and it's one of those movies that is rarely, very rarely seen, but every once in a while you'll catch it. I've never seen the beginning of it, but I've always seen it from the middle towards the end. And so and I love it. As they do this Congo thing at the end, but Dick York. What's the where, um, it's called My Sister Eileen. I catch that one. Sort of thing. So, but Dick York is... You know, he basically wears a tracksuit the whole time, but he does a lot of physical comedy in it. And he, you know, he did a little bit of a dance routine in it and stuff like that. But he's he's really fun, I think. So, and it's quite good to see him. You know, in '74, it's just really good to see him just break out from the Darren thing, sort of thing. It, so, it is good when they cut him loose. I, I think he's extremely. He's he's different. He's just a hoot. He is. I mean, he already. <laughs> displays you know his he's the I, I mean sergeant was okay but i still think dick york had the biggest better tirade well you know the thing is when dick york's able to cut loose as we had the, the werewolf good guy and this guy's role here and we've had a couple other ones where he's able to break loose you could tell they fell with it but when when you get when dick sergeant was given that opportunity it, he just looked uncomfortable doing it, breaking away from it 
because for some reason I think Dick Sargent's um, portrayal and most things that I've seen him in outside of Bewitched is always quite the straight arrow. It's kind of like the the straight and narrow guy. Yeah. But Dick York, with Dick York, there's always that thing that even when he's upset, there's always a twinkle in his eye that you know that. But you know he kind of loves her. You know, you know. There's always something a bit extra with Dick York. I think that you get. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. and even when he's angry with with her, you could tell that there, there's something in his eyes and in his face that you could tell that he's angry with her. He might be a bit peeved off with her, a bit fed up with her. But there's that love with him. But with Dick Sargent, he just looks annoyed all the time. Does even when he's supposed to be happy with her, he just he's annoyed the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and I, you know, I think, I think it also helps that Dick York's face is just, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, he's not a, a sexy guy, but there's a lovable goofiness about yeah. him. Yeah. Where Dick Sargent always kind of looked like a ferret. <laughs> he had this rodent-like character look about his face, unfortunately. <laughs> so, I really enjoyed the Dick York yeah. episodes for the most part a whole lot more. I always have. Yeah. yeah. And to your point, there's a Halloween episode with Dick Sargent where he's stuck wearing a he becomes a full-blown witch and you know York would try to do something with it, but Sargent just walks with until like he's unhappy. He doesn't try to do anything with it. Yeah. Where if you know if it was Dick York, he would, he would just he would have come up with like some wild. He would just become something wild mm-hmm. and different. He didn't do a whole lot after he left Bewitched, did he, Dick York? I mean, I know he left because he was in a lot of pain. I knew that. He he had to stop working because of the pain. His back was, I mean, his back his back was collapsing in on itself apparently. Yeah. And he was basically bedridden after Bewitched. Really. Yeah, God. he didn't. He didn't want. He didn't want to go. I mean, there are going to be episodes later on where he disappears, and basically he's nowhere to be found. And that's because they had to rewrite things at the last minute because he physically couldn't come to work. It's not that he didn't want to. He didn't want to quit. He had to quit. Right, right. Work. It's a, such a shame yeah, too. Yeah, it wasn't like remember. I'm fed up with the show. I don't no longer want to do it, or I'm too good, or whatever. It was nothing about that whatsoever. It has to physically do with, you know. Another thing is Dick York. If you if you read anything about him, you know he, you know if he was tied into the show for twenty years and if he physically could do it, even if he hated it, he would have done it because he was a true professional. He wasn't he wasn't one of these people who was pulling his weight around or whatever or I'm unhappy or sort of thing. I mean, even I mean, out of the whole cast of here, the only person that was kind of unhappy about being cast is Agnes Moorhead. And she only did it because she didn't think it was going to get, get picked up, sort of thing. I mean, and and to be honest, and the re- the reason why she continued doing it because she she has such a love for Elizabeth Montgomery and Dick York, and, right? And all the character actors they brought on—that's what kept her in the show, sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, she didn't want to do a TV show; she just did it for the paycheck. She thought, "Though I'll do the pilot, and they'll never go," <laughs> you know. Like a good thing. You know that he managed a private fundraising effort for homeless. What he managed it when he was bedridden due to a degenerative spine energy or injury. He yeah. actually was doing all kinds of cool stuff, even though he was, you know, he had some really good charities going. He was quite. I mean, I didn't know that. I'm gonna have to read more about that because that's really interesting. His life is probably a whole lot more than bewitched, obviously. 
Well, I mean, he's he's in a lot of things. I mean, he's in um, that them. He's in the film them as one of the soldiers in that. So I mean, he he was around for a while. So I mean, you know, and I'm sure that if it wasn't for his, you know, his back problems, he probably would have lasted to the end of Bewitched, and he probably would end up on Love Boat eventually. So. <laughs> Because that's that's where all good that's where all good TV actors go. <laughs> well, it says he slowly died of emphysema, more so than the back. I didn't know that either. Well, they're all big smokers as well, sort of thing. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand how anybody can put two and three packs of cigarettes away a day. I mean, you just supposed to have one of them just hanging out of your mouth all day. I don't know if Bewitched did this, but I, they probably were even advertising cigarettes at the time we were going live. Well, I know Dark Shadows was, but. Well, the Flintstones were. Have you ever seen the Flintstones cigarette ads? Where you see Barney and Fred like, like smoking up and talking about what yeah. cigarette brands they're smoking for TV And then they come in life with them. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, this is back when you know the sponsors owned the TV shows, wasn't it? So... I didn't realize. Yeah, how but I, I mean, I, really, I do like this episode, sort of thing. It, it's I said it before. It's always. Good. I love this episode where he's just, he's just so goofy. I mean, and he's playing that, you know. Crazy. It's always good when you can see Dick York letter rip. Yeah, when he can excel at his role. Our next episode is in season three. It's episode six, and it's part one of a two-parter. And this is Andorra Moves In for a Spell, which is part one. This story is actually by Robert Riley Crutcher, and the teleplay, or the script, was written by Ruth Brooks Flippin. Andorra's annoyed about Uncle Arthur's influence on Tabitha during his extended visit, so she zaps the house onto the nearby vacant lot across from the Stevenson's house. She better keep an eye on him. The siblings zap and unzap the house from the lot. Samantha tries to use a little moral logic to end the standoff. Also caught in the middle are a frightening Gladys Kravitz and the police who tried to understand how a house was built out of thin air on the empty lot. Small Paul Smith appears as a policeman. This was filmed in September 2nd, 1966. It's this episode featuring Sandra Gould as Gladys Kravitz. Um, I'm going to say my thing about Gladys Kravitz and Sandra Gould. There's a bullying thing about this Gladys, there's a, a an aggression with this Gladys that wasn't with the previous Gladys, so it's kind of sits a bit on. She's not likable. I mean, she looks nice and stuff like this, but there's some there's an aggression there that comes from being lovable, goofy to being kind of aggressive and uncomfortable. This I'm Gladys Gladys. What are your thoughts on this one? I agree completely. I mean, I don't want to... Uh, I should stick with just the first episode and not postulate throughout the remaining ones, but here she was... She just so comes across as so bold and harsh, like you said. And unlike uh, Alice Pierce, with Alice Pierce, this is Gladys, there, you could see that there was, despite her craziness, a warmth between her and Abner. You, you don't find any of this with Gould, and I just don't care for her at all. Just, and there's a disconnect between her and Abner. There's not a connection. There's a yes. really weird disconnect. 
sort of thing. I you think it shows that. up later in the, the series, maybe? Or is it just trying to... I mean, she's she's the unpopular kid on the block right now because she's taking over a beloved dead person's part, too. You know, but you know what? You know you know who would have done better? You know when they brought in um, Abner's sister? Yeah. Gladys has gone yeah. off somewhere. So Ad, and, which she kind of looked like Gladys. I thought she would be Gladys. She did. She sister. did. And they would have been better off, like, maybe giving it a bit of thought. And I also think that the the person who's playing Abner and Alice Pierce, I think they were filmed as a couple and they, you know, they, so they brought these two people together. And so, and then they're replacing that person. I mean, it, well, that could be the writer's fault too, you know? Now, to be honest, if you listen to the lines being said, they're not, they're lines that Alice, Alice Pierce would have said. I mean, they're right. the gladdest lines. They're Gladys reactions. I just think this actress, for some reason, is um, just not in ke- chemistry wise in tune. There's a harsh, there's a harshness and aggression to it, and I think it's, I think it has to do with um, what kind of actress you are, sort of thing. Could be. I think I read at some point that when she took the role over, Gould said, "Well, she obviously wasn't going to try to imitate Pierce." She knew she had to try to do something new, but I think she went in a completely wrong direction. Just with yeah. the words Keith, Keith goes with harsh and bitter. Don't harsh, um, even 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 everything Abner, which is Abner, it's kind of like like oh my god, the back of my teeth hurt now, sort of thing. And there's because there's a shrill there. There's a there's a kind of a really high pitched shrill that just sounds like. Abner. Someone who basically needs to be tranquilized, sort of thing. <laughs> you know, she's like. Did they like, ever pull out the bottle of syrup for her with a spoon, and <laughs> like they did for? I don't know with her, but, um, but yeah. So I have to sit there and say that you know, you know, we'll see where she goes. But I have to sit there and say when I saw her, I was like, I mean, I knew she was coming because I mean, I you know, I'm, I'm familiar with you know this actress playing her, but for some reason, I. Maybe it's because it's hot on the tails of the old Gladys. As I said before, this is probably the first time we've I've actually seen these in chronological order. So maybe it has something more to do with that. And it's, you know, it's a bit different catching something every once in a while than watching them in succession, like you know, like what I'm doing. I'm watch, you know, I watched all these yesterday, you know, one after another, and then it's like I'm ready, sort of thing. So, um, so it might have something to do with that. But yeah. I'd, it's kind of an odd choice because I have to pay more attention because I didn't really get that. I just thought she was just the same irritating neighbor, but more irritating <laughs> than the last one. Maybe maybe it might be even facial looks. Maybe it would have been better to pick maybe an actress that was a, had a bit more of a unique look to her. This is kind of like this is like Gidget's mom. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> With the hair moving up <laughs> on top what, of her head. This is, what, this is what Gidget will turn out to look like eventually. You know, so I think Gidget, Gidget, year forty. Yeah, this is this is kind of you know the way you know talking about the way the way she's dressed, the the way you know you know the, the heels, the you know I think it's you know the way the hair is done. Everything about her is kind of like she's gone from. A frumpy character, not a frumpy. I mean, I guess Alice Pierce's character was she kind of fit with Abner. Abner is kind of like you know a retired man, and this is kind of the wife that he had, sort of thing. You know, very unique looking, very unique. And then you kind of got now we got Abner who hasn't changed at all, same 
Abner. Abner's yeah, even keel. But then, but then, they, and then he's got Abner. this. He's got this wife that's basically. She probably was like the popular girl in school, but didn't end up marrying well. You know, she probably, you know, last Gladys, she probably was basically like quite good. She's quite studious and quite homely sort of thing. This Gladys looks like she probably was a cheerleader. Yeah. She's got a cute little figure. I noticed you actually got it for an older woman. She could have got to admit she's, you know, she's curvaceous. As more style, she's more stylist as well. There's more of a style to her. Yeah. Even her hair. I mean, her hair is very styled. I mean, Gladys's hair never was the old hair was never really styled. Sort of no. thing. Kind of just, you know, this one's kind definitely of different. Oh, oh, Gladys went to bed with her hair in curlers and wrapped in toilet paper. This Gladys basically brushes through and pins it up. <laughs> yeah, she got that cutesy do going on. Now, this is what I found weird, that Uncle Arthur and Aunt Dora are brother and sister. I didn't catch that. Yeah. You know that? Because no. what they said, they said, because when Uncle Arthur is zapping the house out and Aunt Dora is zapping the house in, right? And, this, and basically they said that the siblings are zapping and unzapping the house off the lot. So they're considered siblings. Well, she is Samantha's uncle, so it makes sense, I guess. What age difference? Thousand years. Who knows? (laughs) I mean, I I know. I hope I look as good in 500 years. Um, That's all I'm saying. But I think, like, you know, let's 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 put in, like, people years sort of thing. Let's take take the witches out of it. Let's take the witches years out of it. So, basically, if they were human, basically, Andorra was born when the mother first like when the mom was 13 and then uncle Arthur was born. It was like a menopause baby. <laughs> that would explain a lot. <laughs> I love uncle I mean, Arthur they, though. We, we, I mean, Andorra looks fantastic. And uncle Arthur looks about what? Mid twenties, maybe. Cause he's quite young here. I mean, from the Poland, maybe he's maybe 30. 30 but, probably. But the two of them together, I mean, there there looks like there's quite a bit of an age gap there between the two of them. So I I mean I never really tried to figure out what who's related to and how they are, but to find out they were siblings, I thought like, okay. Never well that explains that. a lot if that's the case. Because he just dogs her the whole time. You know, and Dora anyway. Well, I remember I remember even like when you know, and Uncle Arthur appeared the first time as Uncle Arthur, and then they got Andorra, and Andorra was kind of fed up with them, but it was more of a fed up, like, I'm your aunt, I'm fed up with you. You know, it was kind of like that sort of thing. Then sisterly. But it wasn't sisterly, it was more like matronly. It's like, oh, you know what I mean? Or, because he was a practical joker, wasn't he, all the time? I just think Andorra's used to being the boss, no matter where she is. Yeah, so I guess she's the older sister of Arthur. Possibly. Now I gotta look that up. That's gonna drive me nuts. Yeah, it's here in the notes here. I got here and that's come off of uh, I'm episode. still looking it up. I didn't catch that. That went pew right over my head. Sibling? Yeah. Well yeah, and Dory even says, and you call my yourself my brother. Yeah. Only when that's I have right. to. And I never picked, this is the first time I ever picked up on that the whole time. I mean, I've, I've been watching Bewitched probably since I was born, really. I never so, picked this up. And I've this been the watching first time I picked that up. Like, oh, okay. This is, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, Uncle, I mean, yeah, I mean yeah, the thing yeah. is, it's all there in the title. I mean, she, Samantha calls him Uncle Arthur. 
So, yeah. For some reason, I thought maybe it came from Maurice's side of the family or something. I don't know. Edgar's her nephew. Henry's her nephew. Serena's her niece. Darren is a son-in-law. Well, we haven't got to Adam yet, but Arthur is her only brother. And Maurice and her are separated. They're not divorced. Yeah, I knew they were separated, so I think. For anybody um, who wants to know. That would be which family tree you've got there? Yes. <laughs> Bewitched Wiki. <laughs> <laughs> what okay, is, well, we'll take so the only child anyway, isn't she? What's that? Yeah, I, yeah so, I think so. It's not saying... Yeah, so it's her children, cousin, it's Serena. I mean, who's, who's Serena's parents? Is that Uncle Arthur? She's her niece. That's all it says. So somebody, you know, had yeah, she's Samantha's cousin. It's cousin Serena. Yeah. So is that Uncle Arthur's kid? Doesn't seem like Uncle Arthur has any bows in this, though, at all. I would say I would say that Uncle Arthur probably had more in common with um, cousin Edgar than he did with um, probably. I don't think he'd be batting on the side of dating witches, maybe. I think he's more of a warlock porker. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I mean, he's well, very effeminate. <laughs> and it is Paul Lynn, so. Yeah, uh, you don't know with him. I, know, I, think he, I don't think he was a warlock. I think he was more of a gay lord sort of thing. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, so so yeah, I'd be interested to find out where yeah, where uh, Serena's married. And That's gonna, that gonna look up. it up. Maybe it'll pop up in Wiki fandom. I mean, I'm still trying to, I'm just trying to figure out how how Aunt Clara who's Aunt Clara is Aunt Clara, sort of thing. I mean she's obviously Samantha's great aunt, obviously. So, or maybe she's Morris's sister, maybe. So, yeah. yeah. Kind of weird yeah. when you try to put the family tree together. Maybe Clara, is, Clara is Andorra's sister. That's so the only one I got, got straight. Okay, so then Clara is Andorra's sister. Okay. But you she got it. Be, Well, no, she can't be Andorra's sister because Andorra only has one sibling, which is Uncle Arthur. Serena is the youngest of Orosini Price's five daughters. And her mother says so she has three half-sisters. Half sisters. Yeah, Tunde, Lind- Lindrea, and Aisha Price. Okay. It must be on the father's side of the family then. I don't know. Who's Aunt Clara related to? Look that one up. I don't know. Where, <laughs> where does she fit in this family tree? <laughs> then again, she could be Andorra's aunt. I mean, she could be a great aunt, can't she? Samantha's great aunt. You don't go around, you don't go around calling your great aunt your great aunt you just say it's my aunt don't you so it's possible it might be Andorra's aunt because even Andorra calls her aunt Clara god we turned ourselves into a conundrum here how are the witches related to each other well it's bugging me now while you research that you gotta admit the the bickering between um, Uncle Arthur and Andorra is just great this episode like uh, Mother Hubbard Sally Sunshine and it wasn't until this episode I had to look up what Madame Defarge meant. <laughs> you didn't know who Madame Defarge was? No, not until I, this episode. <laughs> There's no matches for this. 
I have He's to say, probably Katie, a test tube baby. I don't know. I also think that you can tell that Agnes Moorhead and Paul Lynn kind of had fun working together. Oh, they got to. You know. And it's always quite fun to when and I mean, I guess now, you know, thinking about it, I guess the sibling title kind of does work through because when you get the tit on tap between brother and sister, and then you kind of have to have the, the younger one, which would be Samantha, having to step in and be the adult sort of thing to actually break right. it up. And I know that, you know, the, you know, turning something on and turning something off is something that a brother and sister would do together to annoy each other. Right. I mean, I used to that to my sister all the time. Well, actually, I used to lock my sisters in the closets and stuff, but that's a totally different story. I had brothers like you. Yeah. You know, but if my sister goes, don't put it there, I would put it there. And then she'd take it off and I'd go back. And we'd, we'd probably spend all afternoon doing that. You know, she'd go, don't, I want it over there. And I'd put it where she doesn't want it. And then she'd move it over where she wants it, And I'd pick it up and move it where, where she doesn't want it. And we would spend all afternoon doing that. So, so it makes sense. I just want to say my finest moment for this episode was the look of sheer terror on Arthur's face when Samantha says, kiss Dora." Yes. Just look at Paul Lynn's face. It's just priceless. Yeah. Oh, things aren't that desperate. No. <laughs> the way he delivers a line, though, and it's, I mean, there's, there's never ever going to be another Paul Lynn, is there? God, ever. no, man. He just, he's like... An, he's an original... He just well, who who played him? Oh God, Evan something. He played Evan Almighty. He played him in the the Nick Nicole Kidman Bewitched, which I struggled through. Yeah, that's, but they had you know it wasn't the same though. But he actually did a good job. I thought doing Paul in the guy from the office. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is. It's, I mean, it has more to, I mean, okay, it's pretty, I think it's doing his voice is quite good, but the thing is, is Paul Lynn, the way he delivers a line, there's, there's, a, there's the way they accents different words to get his meaning across. And the thing is, you can probably copy the voice, but it's be able to have the timing. The delivery. The Hollywood players. I mean, take something and just say, say something just as simple and make it sound raunchy just by the way he would inflict you know, his, the accents of his words and stuff like this. Yeah, his delivery was something unique. Yeah. So. But this. This is also bringing us into um, season three, episode number seven, which is part two of this called Twitch or Tweet. Um, this is written by the same people who wrote the previous one. It's the show's third Halloween episode, and Dora zaps her house from the previous episode back to the vacant lot in order to hold a Halloween party there. Darren is furious, but agrees to allow the party to be held at his house if she undoes the spell. Uncle Arthur insists on being invited to the party and is joined by many mysterious guests, including Doris, played by Barry Altwater, his feline companion, and Willie Mays. Gladys Kravitz again has the authorities investigate the strange going on. Um, this was actually filmed on September 12th, 1966, um, 12, 10 days late after the part one. I thought this was a nice continuation. It kept things I liked going. it. I liked this one. I, I, my, my enjoyment was really bolstered by, by Darren and um, Uncle Arthur just goofing on 
and Dora, and they kept making, you kept cracking jokes and they were making fun of her. I kind of liked watching that interaction between the two of them. I thought that was just funny. And then there was the cat, the feline female. What was her name? Oh gosh, what was her name? Eva. Yeah, she was just awful. <laughs> she was just a cat in heat. That's <laughs> what she was. That's how cats in heat act, is the way she was acting. It was funny. And then Willie Mays did a guest appearance, you know. The only thing I wish they could have done is like brought back some of the old witches that we've seen in previous episodes, just to have them lingering in there, like have Rita Shaw in the background drinking in the kitchen or something, you know what I mean? But I mean, that's a small thing. I enjoyed it. Gladys irritated the hell out of me again, to the point where I'm not enjoying it so far. The point where it's kind of like, Kind of she called she calls the police or no the councilman that comes over to watch the house and they spell the house and so they can't get in and see what's yeah, really actually going pretty on. much at the same line we had in the previous episode so it's kind of like okay what's it's kind of it's it's kind of like she's kind of was kind of written into a, a episode that she didn't quite need to be written into as far as the party you know calling the police on not a party sort of thing kind of like a tiktok video that takes too long to manifest the funny yeah part. it's kind of like that it's like, you know her, i can understand her role in the first one but by the second one like you know okay if, if, i guess if it was andorra's you know if the party was held in andorra's pop and pop out right maybe but this this is in the Stevenson's house. They come like, well, what are you doing? So they don't. Why did they have to have a house right across the street for this party, though? I yeah. didn't realize there was, there was an empty lot across the street. When was when was there an empty lot? I mean, there wasn't an empty. Lot I didn't know there was an empty <laughs> lot because I always thought there was another house over there in pr- prior episodes. And I always right. thought the Kravitzes lived across the street anyway. So obviously they've no, they're not across the street. They're over here somewhere. So Must be. So. It wasn't, it didn't totally, it wasn't that bad, but I mean, I, like I said, the interaction between Uncle Arthur, anytime Uncle Arthur's on, I know I'm going to laugh, you know, and him and him and Darren, you know, hooking up and making fun of, you know, Andorra, that's just bonus. I think it's one of those little fun episodes that kind of just, you know, you just go and a lot, and there's like a bunch of people just having a really good time doing what they're doing and it shows, you know, they're all, you know, they're loving the script, they're having fun delivering in the, and you watch and you watch these, you know, this one and the one previously, and you, you enjoy it because you can tell that they're having so much fun filming it, sort of thing, and they're enjoying what they're doing, and everyone looks like it's a good time. And you got Andorra being the best of Andorra, and Uncle Arthur being the best of Uncle Arthur, and you got Samantha doing trying to be the adult between them, and you know, and you got Darren kind of like. You know, against the witchcraft thing, but actually siding with Uncle Arthur because I know. <laughs> You know, and you and, got the bean and the portraits together. You got Andorra and you got Uncle Arthur and the portraits. It's like it just cracks me up. And you just got you just got a lot of people just playing playing around with each other and just having a good time. And it's you know, it's one of those episodes that you just kind of like you you're just smiling and laughing because and there's never a dull moment because there's always something behind that. You know, so right. if the joke doesn't quite land, there's always someone that's right behind it. So it's just a mile a minute sort of thing. I'm I'm in the minority here. Then I this episode just doesn't do it for me. It's just well, everything. the whole episode doesn't. But there's certain intermittent pieces of it that I enjoy, like that interaction with you know Darren and and uh, Andorra. Yeah. Or, um, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you know what I mean. 
Yeah. There are there are parts of this that lets it down as well. I agree with you there. So yeah, it's it's like glad it's coming in. It's like what why why is this here sort of thing? Why is she breaking this up sort of thing? The guests were weird, odd. Yeah, I I wrote about bewitched Halloweens and I said if this if I was attending this party, I I would have left early. It seems so dull to me. Mm. Plus, plus it brings me to a lapse of continuity from previous Halloweens where uh, Endora would be enraged by Halloween and would go fly to France because she wants nothing to do with it. And here she embraces it and is throwing a party for it. Right. Yeah, the previous one we had the the witch campaign from season one, the Halloween one. And uh, then the second one is that she ran off, she did go off to France, didn't she? Because she didn't want to be the Halloween party and then um, then the tapes were going to throw a costume party or something at the house and that's the Darren yeah. Werewolf one. Yeah. yeah. No. So it's flipped and now now she throws it annually. So, yeah, so. Yeah, now now you say that, yeah, it does make sense. It doesn't fit into the into the bit of the bewitched lore, does it? So right. Why would she be bothered if she was invited to the party or not? Because she wouldn't she hates Halloween. So. Who hates Halloween? Andorra. Oh, well, no, she don't like, she just don't like what humans have done to Halloween. But she doesn't celebrate it. Not really. They take off and go to France, don't they usually? No, that's what he, that's what he was talking about. So that, to find her wanting to be invited to a party that she wouldn't want to normally be invited to anyway, because it's a Halloween party. I said before, I mean, if I could change, if I could change the episode up, I would have had a lot more of the, old witches character actors come back. You mm-hmm. know, it'd be nice to have um That's Artie what Johnson I was expecting. Le- to come back as a leprechaun so, ha- having drinks with you know what I mean? And, yeah. And, and some of the other the... Esmeralda there and Hagatha and you know have a good old witches shinding party sort of That's thing. That's right. In case, in case, but in case but what you got was this kind of character weird characters that didn't really have enough time to develop a character because it was at the party, isn't it? They, they looked weird. They were kind of odd, but you didn't have any association with them because like, oh, I'm, they're here for the party, so they're here for like 10 minutes. Kind of reminded me of, a, of an, it almost kind of reminded me of an episode of True Blood. <laughs> I don't know why because they have all those vague characters in the back that just are weird. Yeah. You kind of, you know, you know what they probably should have done, sort of thing, is have like the Adam family kind of Halloween party. <laughs> yeah. Just a bunch of, <laughs> Just a bunch of odd people running around the background that you don't know anything about them, but because they're so different and unique, that it just feels like a a bewitched Halloween party instead of like Darren's office. It does have a feeling of Darren's office party. It's having. Yeah, there's nothing crazy really going on other than the cast. Yeah. So, yeah, so I do agree they could have pushed it further. And I said before, if it wasn't for the Arthur and Dora, Darren and Samantha interaction between those four, then it would have fallen a bit flat. Yeah, it would have completely. I mean, it's not my favorite episode sort of thing. No. But but I love love the interaction between the, the actors sort of thing, so... It was nice seeing Barry Atwater several years before he shows up as the Night Stalker. 
yeah. It was a nice piece. Quite interesting. But yeah. So I guess we're at our favorite act, our favorite character, and our least favorite character this block. And starting with you, Jim, who's your favorite character of this block, and your least favorite character of this block? Across the whole eight episodes, do you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Darren the Bold is my favorite. That's if my I favorite episode. Period. Of- yeah. And I. There's not too many I dislike. I'm going to go with Andorra for the kidnap episode. I just can't get over it. Yeah. That's the only time I would pick her. And what about yourself, Vix? I have to go with Darren the Bold and and Rufus the Red or whatever the heck they were called. That just was just good, clean fun. I love that episode. And I love how you know, York finally can, you know, have some fun with it. And it, it just shows more of his diversity, you know, and what an actor he really was. And as far as anybody, I mean, God, I don't know, the horny cat <laughs> was my least favorite <laughs> because someone just needed to put water on her. Okay. So other than that, but I mean, it, it as far as that goes, it was, I mean, I don't really dislike any characters. I think that the writers, I give them all something that brings the table. But I thought you guys were going to say Gladys. What about you, Keith? Um, I'm not, I'm not going to use Gladys at the moment, only because um, she's too new, soon. To the, new to the part. And I think that you know, it's too fresh from Alice Pierce's um, death, maybe. So I'm, I'm going to try to be a bit fair, though. I'll probably slam, slam her even more next next block. Probably. But, um, my favorite character is at um, Enchantra, only because it's Estelle Winwood, and I love that little pinch face that she has. She I'm does sorry. have a pinch face. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. She always looks like she stepped in something, and you're not quite sure what she stepped in. <laughs> and, I, and I just love her. I don't. And the thing is, because I don't, I don't get enough of her, sort of thing, sort of thing. And I, and I just love her. I, I don't know what it is. And, she She's doesn't an do enjoyable a whole lot this episode, character. but just That's... seeing her made my whole made me happy. It just it put a grin on my face that I had for the whole evening, and even when I think of her now, I still have that grin on my face, sort of thing. And my least favorite, it has to be um, Diego Fenman, the photographer, because I don't know I'm where they were wolf, going. I'm not a wolf this. person, but if I was, I'd be highly offended by this. <laughs> <character>. <laughs> <laughs> Were they going for that, you think? <laughs> it just kind of, it just annoyed me. It's just kind of like, it's kind of like this over-the-top kind of photographer kind of thingy. And, you know, it's okay. I mean, he had, he had, I guess he had all the manic mannerisms, but just the lines he was fed, it just, just, the whole thing just felt a bit forced to me. It didn't feel like, I think they could have gone with some, someone who could have done the same job, but gave it a bit more finesse sort of thing and made it a bit more enjoyable. And for a season opener, I mean, the season opener, you know, your first episode, you know, you have to be fantastic. This is season three, episode one. And, you know, you know, I just thought it could have been a bit better sort of thing for me as far as so to have an actor like that kind of let me down. I would have been better off maybe having something, another episode, maybe being that. But yeah, he just annoyed me. His face annoys me as well. I mean. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't know what this, I don't know what Robert Q. Lewis has done since this role, but 
I'm sure whatever role he has done, because his face just annoys me, I probably just would have been just annoyed with any face, so who knows? And not that I'm shallow or anything, but um, no, so. <laughs> So I guess now we'll come to your favorite episode and your least favorite episode of this block. Starting with you, Vicky, what's your favorite episode and your least favorite episode of this block? My favorite episode is definitely um, with Dick York being, uh, what's he called? Oh, God. The, the bold, Darren the Bold. The I just love that episode. episode. Yeah. And my least favorite. <sighs> Let me look at these real quick. My least favorite would probably have to go along the lines of that episode that Jim had brought up with uh, uh, with the old ladies wanting to take the baby and run. I just didn't think that was cool writing. Witches and warlocks are my favorite things. Uh, yeah, witches and warlocks are my favorite things. Is maybe the episode. Well, the warlocks were my were my favorite thing because Maurice was really you know balls to the wall in this. But um, yeah, that was kind of a kind of a cringe worthy scene i have to say mm-hmm. but yeah jim i guess i'll surprise you out the prodigy with uh, gladys's brother playing the violin between uh him and abner kravis he they, they just episode just kept me laughing the whole way through <laughs> That was a good episode. That was well written. Yeah, and least favorite, I guess I'd go with the the one with the two boy twins. That was irritating as well, too. That was not as much fun as I would have liked it to be. Yeah. So that that's a good choice. Um, my favorite, I guess, I'm going to go for the most unusual wood nymph, only because as you were saying before, it's quite nice when they do break away from the Samantha household. So you kind of got out of the house. It's nice that, and, and, we, and we weren't in McMahon and Tate office, so we actually go somewhere totally different. So, yeah, I like that. And say for seeing Dick York enjoying himself is always a plus to actually see him break, have to break out of that. He was quite an actor, movie. really. I mean, I don't think he got enough credit in his lifetime. And my least favorite, I mean, there's quite a few here, but if I have to pick one, I'm going to go with Nobody's Perfect. I just think that if you're going to come out with, I mean, I know there's the beginning of Tabitha's magic sort of thing, but it's kind of like, I don't know. I think that, I just think if you're going to come out, if you're going to come out of the, you know, park, um, you know, batting 100, I don't think, not the best. It was my favorite episode. I think for a season opener, and at that time, it's the, the, you know, your first episode of each season was a big thing. You know, you get your TV guide and circle everything you want to see with the season guide, what's coming new that season, and and you get excited about what's continuing. And I would, you know, I think I probably would have been slightly disappointed. Basically, it's like being looking, spending all summer waiting for the next episode of Bewitched to come out, and then this is what I got. I think I probably would have been a bit disappointed. And I felt right. a bit disappointed. You know, probably one I'll be watching anytime soon, never again. Probably never again, sort of thing. <laughs> well, 
Well, this brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast, our Bewitched episode. Next week, we'll be doing the 80s, and we'll be covering Shock Treatment by Richard O'Brien, which is not a prequel and not a sequel, but an equal to Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> and Streets of Fire by Walter Hill. We'll be discussing how two 80s um, musicals were ahead of their time to sit there and dictate on the life that we have today. Um, so that'll be our 80s covering of course the reason why they're two musicals because it is christmas time and this is filled with our christmas package um and of course we'll be covering dark shadows which will come out after christmas we'll be probably coming out on boxing day here in the uk and of course the day after christmas there and our next screen to book will actually be odd thomas by dean poots and with the film with the late actor Aston um gatter who died two two years ago from a terrible car accident and he will be um, we'll still be covering our Thomas. So it's good night for myself and good night, Jim, and thank you for joining us. You guys, glad to be here. Always a pleasure. Good night, everybody. Y'all and take night, care. Vicky. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Whatever you guys do. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> wish wish uh, Jesse a happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Jesse. Jesus. Yeah, happy oh, birthday. Oh, Jesus. Jesse. Oh, yeah. Jesse. 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 Jesse's happy birthday probably not. Jesse's not sober right now. That's why he's not with us. Jesse's always hammered. And it's good night for myself, and we'll see you next week for the 80s, which is shock treatment. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. What fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. What fun to ride and sing in a one-horse open sleigh Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh O'er the fields we go, laughing all the way Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight Jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. All the fields we go. All the way Bells on bobtail ring Making spirits bright All what fun To ride and sing A slaying song tonight Jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Oh, we have a lot of fun. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle. All the way, oh what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle All the way, oh what fun it is to ride in a one-horse